Cheryl Show, where we will be talking about moving beyond burnout. I believe that in order to truly address today's mental health crisis, we need to create community and solutions around all aspects of our life that affect anxiety and depression. Today, I will be talking with Molly Grantham, an Emmy award-winning journalist in Charlotte, North Carolina. She's the author of Small Victories, The Off-Camera Life of an On-Camera Mom, and also the creator of Molly's Kids, a popular grassroots concept that highlights kids with uphill medical battles. Molly is big on authenticity and recently did a TEDx talk called The Real We Are. Hi, Molly. Welcome. Hi, Cheryl. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to be talking to you. Um, and so there's so much to talk to you about, but the first thing I want to talk about is this book. Um, oh, hi. You have the book. I have the book. <laughs> Look at it. I love that. I love the cover. Um, and I love actually everything about it. But so for people who haven't read it, can you start with what inspired you to write it? Yes. I didn't know I was writing the book as I was writing it. <laughs> I was on maternity leave with my second child and I missed me. I missed me. I work a lot. I love my job. I love my kids. I love my family, but I really love my career as well. And not being at work was a huge adjustment. With one kid, I could sort of still be me and deal with one baby, but with a three and a half year old and a six day old or seven day old, it was impossible. And so I wrote on Facebook, I think it was six days old. Um, I was just crawling out of my own mind and I wrote on Facebook one day, small victory, I showered today. And I put it out there and then went to go do whatever child was screaming and take care of whatever needed to be taken care of. And that's all I did that day, I showered. And I thought that was a victory and I put it out there for no reason, I guess, really. And people responded. People got it, you know, and yeah. then week two, I wrote something else. And then week three, I wrote something else. And I did all through maternity leave and I went back to work and I couldn't do it weekly, but it started being like month four, month five, month six, these stories that were easy to digest, but were Facebook oriented. And then by the time I got to month 30, I was like, I think I might have a book because the community <laughs> really responded and people told me their own stories. And it was just saving myself really by having this community of people to say, you're not crazy. You're not crazy to miss yourself because no one ever says that. No one ever says they miss them. No one ever says like, I love working sometimes more than I like my kids. Yes. I was going to say, yeah. that's sometimes what it's Sometimes I do. I love my kids and they're really happy and well adjusted. And if they weren't, I'd probably reassess it. You know, like it's working and I'm a better mom because I work and no one was telling me that. So it ended up becoming a book without even trying it. Yes. I think that was when Molly and I have talked on the phone. We've never met in person, but there was an instant synergy between us. And I think that's part of it was this feeling of it's okay to love work and it's okay to love your kids and work and try to get rid of the taboo around that you have to pick. Cause I think that's part of your message, right? Right. It's absolutely, um, you know, I've got my daughter and my son and my career, and of course my husband and family as well. But I say I've got these like three big things that I'm in charge of every day. And one is not like the other two, but all are pieces of me. Mm -hmm. And I just live that way and they live that way and we're all okay. Yeah, and do you feel like you are back? Are you here? To me, I, well, a different me. You know, so my children are now, um, one just turned eight and then the newborn that when I started this book is now four. And, um, I am back to me, but it's very different me. I'm a reporter and I'm a journalist and I'm like a dog on a bone when it comes to a story. And I've, you know, helped change state law with things and been embedded in gang units and done all this really cool, wonderful stuff that I, that makes me tick inside. But it's a different version of me now that's still 
a journalist, but also a mom and also an author and also getting to meet people like yourself and having cool conversations about different things than just news. And I like that. Yeah. So a different you. And how how often do you think we evolve let's say just as women, in terms of the, the path of our lives, what are you finding is happening with a four and an eight-year-old and where you are in your career? Because you're not new in your career any longer. No, <laughs> I'm not new in the career. It's a nice way of saying I'm getting old. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's like a number of how many times you evolve. I think you just have to be open to evolving, right? Like you've evolved tons over your stuff and you're not open to it, then you become stagnant. And um, evolution is part of sustainability. And to be out there and be sustained, you have to be willing to change. Yeah, I love the way you just said that. What surprised you most about that online support that helped you realize, oh, these Facebook posts, I think, are a book? Well, I, I think it was like, Cheryl, I don't know, month 28 or 29 when I finally thought it might be a book. It was never, I was never writing them for a book. I'm still not writing them. I just put month 54 out a couple days ago. So it's it's not about a book. It never was about a book. Um, the book thing came, I've always wanted to be an author. I've never thought I'd write about parenting. I have to write a brilliant fiction novel one day. Never parenting. And it just sort of happened, I think, because the community, especially here in Charlotte, was responding in such good ways. Not everybody agreed with me. You know, I'm saying the good, the bad, the always real. It's not sunshine and roses. And so not everybody agreed with everything, but people were responding. And there was touching a nerve of talking about this real life of parenting and the real stories. You guys get to see this shiny, happy, hairsprayed Molly every night, you know, on the news. But the real Molly behind that was was raw and I was putting it out there. So I really appreciated the response and the response made me think maybe I should make these Facebook posts into a book. Obviously it was a lot of professional editing and things that go on. It wasn't a cut and paste, but I put a lot of the community responses and comments from Facebook in the book too, because that's what it was. It was a conversation the whole time. It wasn't me and then people just absorbing. It was us going back and forth. And then at what point did that launch into a TEDx talk? Well, the TEDx talk was not even really about the book. Um, I, I've always wanted to do a TEDx talk, and I know you did one as well, and it's this grueling process. It's a lot to go through and more than I maybe thought it was going to be. And the talk sort of started with authenticity, which is a part of the book for, for sure, but it just evolved more into um, how I think women in particular all wear everybody, but especially women in corporate America have to wear masks and costumes and we all sort of have a role that we're playing and to peel off that mask and costume and get to the essence of who we are is the real that we are and being real is a hard thing to do for a lot of women in a lot of jobs like quintessentially for a news anchor I mean I get asked about my lipstick color every darn day and that's the least of what I'm worried about so I think that there's a lot of um realness in the TED talk and the book but I look at them as separate things interesting because I think that your your message is so much about though being authentic sharing with people who you really are and I and I feel like you are giving shedding light to like look past my lipstick color there's more here that i'd rather you see than what right. i'm wearing or what my makeup looks like 
Right. Thank you. Thank you for saying that because I do think that there's, I mean, I'll put myself out there with no makeup and jeans and ratty t-shirts and kids crawling all over me and messy ponytails and on a weekend night, not showered for two days. I mean, whatever, because I don't care about that. I really don't. Um, but the job sort of dictates I have to, I certainly couldn't go on air looking like that. And I understand why the job dictates that people don't take a messy woman seriously. Um, society's not ready for all of that, but peeling back into the real that we are, I think is very, very important. And I give a lot of talks in Charlotte and talk to a lot of groups and been really lucky to talk to some really wickedly smart, awesome women and female power groups. And everyone you're talking to like gets it because you can't just roll into work in jeans or yoga pants. I mean, you just can't, and you have to wear concealer. I mean, you have to wear concealer to actually conceal parts of yourself to even have a seat at the table sometimes to say something in the meeting, right? right. Like men aren't doing all that. Right. So where do you think we need to go? Do we need eventually to get to the point where journalists don't have to have their mask on? Like, where do we need to go to, to move things, in your opinion? No, I don't think it's um, just journalists either. It's more the concept of we all have these roles that we're playing. Um, and I do think men have to play them as well. I just think women have a much higher standard that's pretty non-debatable. I think we, we need to... Um, well, we need to realize that everybody has faults. Faults are what make us different and unique and special. No one's perfect, but faults are what make us interesting. And I think we need to check ourselves. You know, men need to help us check ourselves, but we need to stop judging people. Try really hard. Like if you watch the news tonight, whatever channel, I don't care about any of the networks or channels or local or whatever, before you start critiquing that woman's hair or her outfit or say like, she doesn't look good, think that's just a woman at her job. And is she saying things that I can appreciate and is the language what I want to absorb or do I want to switch the channel? I mean, there's just, it's so instantly image. It's so instantly image. So I think checking ourselves and recognizing flaws is really important. So I want to, I almost want to restate that because I think that's such an important point. So the, the tendency that we have, I get asked a lot about women's tendencies toward bashing each other, bringing each other down. Um, two weeks ago, I was doing um, an all-women's conference, and um, somebody asked the question, like, how do you deal with women who are inevitably trying to drag you down and make sure you don't get promoted and they're not lifting you? Um, and although I don't feel like I've had, either I haven't really had that experience or I've somehow just chosen to be in denial about them. I'm not sure which it is, but I know that it happens all around me and I get asked about it a lot. But I love what you mm. just said. The second we feel that judgment coming the second we think even to ourselves like oh what is she wearing today what'd she do to her hair she needs to get mm -hmm. her roots done whatever it is we think we have to check ourselves and say right. like either this is my friend or this is this in intelligent woman or this is person is super funny or whatever it is like we have to start within ourselves that's what i mean by taking off the mask and not worrying as much about the costume. You know, we're all trying to encompass these roles. And the TED Talk could have been the roles we play, but that's so overused. And the flip side of that, and what I'm really trying to say, is the real we are. And so that's where the, the headline for the TED Talk came from, is the real we are, because it isn't. I mean, I don't, I think we all play roles, all of us, men and women. But in particular, women feel this need to um, just hit a certain level before they can even be accepted into the room or have conversation or be smart enough to talk. I'm going into an editorial meeting right after our Skype conversation. I'm heading to work. I work late, two to midnight. And so at three o'clock, I run this meeting every day. And, um, you know, I, 
I'll have TV clothes on because I'll anchor at the four or five or five thirty or six, or whatever the shows are that day. We always switch up and then I do the 11 o'clock, you know, in the meet in the meeting, I've never worn makeup. I'll have a high ponytail or a pencil stuck in my hair. And um, I'm fine with that because I've usually come from school or done something with the kids or whatever it needs it to be done. And so I feel some sense of small pride and that the other people in that meeting, and especially a lot of the younger women who are in their early 20s, and this is only their second job, are coming in now not worried about having on fake lashes and perfect makeup. And instead, they're giving really good story pieces. And to me, it, it speaks volumes because if I'm up there at the front of it with a pen in my hair and looking, you know, half homeless, except that I'm dressed nicely, but it's like you're hearing Molly and we're having smart discussions. No one in Charlotte's seeing that. It's a behind the scenes thing, but it feels really good because I think that's the first step. They feel comfortable to come in without makeup and they won't go on air that way, but we're having really smart discussions. No one's late because they're putting on mascara. I love that. You know, I, I will say there are certain times where I somewhat strategically, but then also naturally do the same thing. I'll go to meetings with no makeup on, or this morning I had sessions and I was like, okay, I have time for either hair or makeup and I don't have time for both. So I usually will choose, my hair can look decent, but no makeup. And there's something that I think, I have no validation of this, but I feel like when I'm meeting with other just women and they see me with no makeup on, there's a little like a, ah, it's like, yes, feel good. Yes. Like, oh my gosh, yes. I love her that she didn't have. Yes. Or sometimes if someone gives me a compliment, I'll, I might say something and I'm going to stop doing this, but I might say something like, oh, that's so nice of you. I always feel like I look tired without my concealer on. Right. And right. so I'll say something like that. And, you know, they'll say to me, oh, you know, oh, that's ridiculous. You still look, you know, beautiful or lovely. And I just think, yeah, look what I just did to myself when I make little right. comments like that. I make it right. seem like, oh, this is a priority to me, or maybe the next time you should be self-conscious. So that's where I'm checking myself, is I'm trying mm -hmm. to accept the compliment. And even mm -hmm. though I might feel like, I mean, that's how I usually feel. I just look really tired without makeup on, but I'm trying to just really not give that message, particularly to other women or young women or even girls, you know, mm -hmm. that I've got to like look a certain way. I agree. I love what you just said. And I think that the, I had about checking yourself can apply to checking yourself and judging other people and checking yourself when you're being so self-deprecating to your own body, because it's not necessary. You know, enough people are going to judge. And I don't think society's ready for us to have masks off all the time. I said that in the TEDx talk and people laughed, but I mean, and I think any of us want to roll out of bed and go straight to our job. You know, we don't need Cheerios on our shirt. Like that's not what we're trying to go for, but just this level of high expectation. Like we just need to be normal. Just be real. I mean, just be normal. Be real. And everybody likes to get dressed up. I think it's great sometimes to be dressed up and fancy. And I go to these great guys. Oh, that's all wonderful. But like on a daily, constant basis, just to be able to communicate and talk to you and share ideas. I need to have this whole mask and costume. Not interested. Yeah. And I have to for my job. So I understand that it's a funny thing for some people to hear me say that. Or maybe even hypocritical. But I can tell you I'm not being a hypocrite. It's required for my job. But I believe in much more normal. But you're also being a spokesperson for saying, like, I'm doing what's required of this job, but outside of here, this is the real, I mean, in here, this is the real journalist me with the face on. And outside of here, here's right. the real me, and then I don't need the face. So it's, I think right. you are doing it a service. Um, I will. Thank you. Yes, of course. So one of the things um, that you talk about in your book, you talk about your mom. And mm -hmm. um, I know that she has passed 
right? And I know um, that you have become sort of, a, I think, a spokesperson almost or a leader in your community around breast cancer awareness. Mm -hmm. um, and you've also got Molly's Kids. Um, talk about how, A, you're able to fit that in. How do you make the time for that? And where the inspiration is for you and where you see that going or where do you want it to go? So there are two separate things, again, in my head. So breast cancer, my mom died of breast cancer. My dad actually died of colon cancer. Um, cancer runs in my family. My grandfather died of pancreatic cancer. And I've been with Komen Charlotte, which is a Susan G. Komen National, um, for a long time. My mom used to go to Race for the Cures with me here in Charlotte. She died two years ago. And when she died, I was already the spokesperson for Komen Charlotte because breast cancer has run in my family for a long time. My mom's mom had breast cancer. My mom's grandmother died of breast cancer. So I'm the fourth generation, but um, all clear, all fine right now. So I, it's just been a very natural thing to want to be at the forefront of that. I've done a lot of research with them. I understand what the goal is. There's some big, bold goals to try and reduce the number of deaths by breast cancer by 50% within 10 years. And that goal was made three years ago. So there's like really specific, tangible things that I like about that organization. And in Charlotte, we have a 20,000 person race in October every year. And I love being up there with that. It's just an incredible thing. And my daughter has been a part of it and she's been a part of it with Grammy, my mom, and now without Grammy there. And it's, it's just kind of a part of our family. It's very important. And I, it is important for me personally, it's important because of Parker, my daughter, um, you know, she will be the fifth generation regardless on if I end up getting breast cancer or not. So there's just a lot of love and a lot of passion involved in the breast cancer cause and the cancer cause. Molly's kids is kids with uphill medical battles and many do face pediatric cancer, but they don't necessarily have to. It's just been a very grassroots thing. I years ago was doing many, many like tough gang military crime type stories. And on the flip side, I would get these families writing me about their child that had been diagnosed with neuroblastoma or osteosarcoma or like crazy big words for their two and three-year-old bodies. And I started following their families and doing some TV stories. And then Facebook got big and I started really enjoying Facebook and started writing about more and more kids as their parents would write me asking me to write about them. I'm not out searching for sick kids um, and just lifting them up. I mean, it's a niche. It's a fan, like these families go through so much and no one's paying that much attention to them, but yet they're like going to the hospital three times a week or the other siblings getting left out or a family member has to lose their job because they need to be there with chemo treatments. Like it's just so many things and just writing about it. I don't collect money, not a foundation, but I do network families together. And it's really grown so much that you could have a rare illness in a county near Charlotte and I write about it and four counties over, a family will pipe up and say, oh my gosh, my eight-year-old has that same thing. And then I connect them. Wow. It's, that easy or like someone needs a specialized wheelchair and another family has a child that just passed that had that wheelchair and they want to give it to a family that could use it so there's ten thousand dollars in a wheelchair boom transferred over to a different place and it's just been really one time we found a boy a kidney and saved his life wow. i mean it's crazy wow. he was one of our molly's kids and he needed a kidney and no one in his county had the right match his family didn't have the right match his guidance counselor reached out to me from his high school and lo and behold i wrote about him and a father of four in louisiana saw the post and came to Charlotte and gave him a kidney and saved his life. That's amazing. And you should feel, you should feel great about it. I will say that, um, you know, one of the things that I'm passionate about talking about are women's health kind of issues and stress and burnout in particular. And what I just got from what you said 
was one of the tips that I talk about in terms of helping burnout, getting beyond burnout is creating community. So if you, if you have a community, great, stay, stay connected. But what you're talking about is you created a community. It was almost by accident, but what that's essentially what you've done. And I find that to be one of the key factors to regulating our stress um, and preventing burnout or getting out of burnout. If you had to say one small victory um, that you've gotten, because some of the things you talk about probably feel really big, and if someone's listening to that, they go, oh, but you know, I don't, I don't have the same abilities or same connections as you have. What could I do? So what would you say to end today, you would say would be a small victory that you imagine anybody could do to engage in their community or, or help their own lives or kids? I love that question because the last thing I ever would want to give off is, oh, well, because you have connections, you can do this. That's not it. I mean, the book happened, the book titled Small Victories happened because I put a post on Facebook because I thought I was going to call to my mind. And I said, I showered today, small victory. And other people, strangers responded. So it never was going to, I was never writing that with like some strategy or thinking that I was some great writer. That's it's so far from the truth. I, there was just a moving world outside and I felt trapped. And so just reaching out ended up turning into something beautiful. And the families that reached out to me about their own kids for Molly's kids turned into something beautiful. And my mom's death has been really difficult and cancer in my family has been really difficult, but we're trying to turn it into something beautiful in really small ways. And I think just being open to it, and it sounds so like lofty and cheesy, be open and you know reach out, but it really is that simple. Because you don't know what's going to happen unless you let yourself be open to what might happen, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it was it was a big thing to put, put pictures out like I showered today, small victory. I'm used to, like, running meetings and doing all this cool big stuff and having editorial decisions and, and being on TV, you know, looking a certain way every night. And it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I only showered today. It's all I did. And everybody sort of lifted me up. And so I think that if you're open to being vulnerable, that you just got to see what happens. I love that. Thanks so much for coming on. You are doing such great things and are a great inspiration, and I appreciate you taking the time. You are too, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.